Happy Holidays Podcast. Thanks for joining us on Christmas Eve 2019 as we approach a new decade with the world right at our fingertips. During the podcast today, you will hear from Matt Zidick, a former coworker and a close friend of mine that is no doubt the best in the business at what he does. Someone has to be the mastermind behind all the graphics, animations, and promotions you see at sport venues, right? Matt is that guy, and after spending many years working in front offices of sports teams, he now works on projects for multiple teams across all of the professional sports leagues. One of the best things about Matt is he is self-taught. Sure, he has a college degree, but the skills he needed to make traction and then succeed in his sector of the sport industry was all graphic design skills he taught himself during his first internship in baseball simply because someone on staff had to know how to do it and his boss chose him. When an opportunity presents itself, Matt doesn't just take it. He jumps in feet first and doesn't quit until the treasure is found. And it seems that whatever he touches turns to gold. Learn more about his can-do attitude as we get to Matt's podcast right now. Today's guest is someone that has always held a role in sports as more of a behind the scenes type of guy. He spent over 17 years working in the sport industry with many different teams and leagues, working for three minor league baseball teams, one major league baseball team, and this one I really like, now holds a job in the sport industry but isn't directly working for a team or sport organization. He is super talented. Anyone that is familiar with his work knows he's the best in the biz. He's a mentor of mine and a great friend. I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast the art director at Ross Video, Matt Zidick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy you're here with me. Not only are you on the podcast, but it's a, a little reunion for us as well. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Pittsburgh. All right. Yeah, excited to be here. For the listeners at home, Matt and I worked in minor league baseball together and almost instantly became friends. Our journey in the sport industry took very different paths but we still share that same passion for the industry and found a way to stay connected through the years by visiting each other pretty often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this counts as a visit. Yes, it does. <laughs> because I owed you one. You you came to me last. Yes, that's correct. Okay, see that's how adult life works, The whole right? family is in here, so you're missing out on that. So when we worked together, basically our whole office had nicknames for one another, and most everyone, including myself, called you Z. Mm-hmm. Which of course is your last your last name is Zidic, so we just took that first letter in your name and yeah, called you Z. That. Yeah, nobody really calls me Z anymore. I was wondering that. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners out there, if you hear me slip and say Z, you know I'm talking about Matt right here. I didn't accidentally say Jay Z or anything like that, you know. I'm as cool as Jay Z, <laughs> And I wanna tell the listeners that you and I had some really really good car karaoke sessions, probably jamming to Jay-Z in the past. <laughs> He's embarrassed, yes. but it's, it's very, very true. So let's start out by talking about your current role. Mm-hmm. Many listeners are probably out there wondering what Ross Video is and how are they tied into the sport industry. So Ross Video is actually a Canadian-based company. It's made its name known as uh, providing equipment for studios, it's really broadcast equipment. That's really the um, focal point of the company. It is a worldwide company, though it's based in Ottawa. We have representatives all across the world, Australia, Dubai. It truly is a, a global company. 
the part that I work in, which is the creative services department, is a relatively new part of the company. It has been around for about five, six years, and I actually started with the infancy of this uh, from the consumer side when I was with the Pirates. I was one of the kind of first customers on the creative side, which is how we, we got to know each other. But as far as my role is, you have to know kind of my past to know what my current role is. So I worked in control rooms, production for in-game entertainment, running control rooms for uh, large sport venues. So control rooms, control you rooms, might want to yep. explain that term. All right, so everything you see and hear at a ballpark that's not on the field, all of the audiovisual parts is what I've been in charge of and I've been in charge of since I started in into the industry from uh, an intern and double-A baseball all the way through now. I've, I've, I've been in control rooms for, for sport venues. Through the way, I've, I've learned uh, I didn't go to school for it. I went to school for studio work. My degree is in telecommunications from Penn State University, which is really broadcast background. So my original thought was I would hope my goal at the time was I was going to work for ESPN, Sports Center, because, you know, I was young and that's what people think of sports. You think of ESPN, you think of Sports Center. So that was my original thought. Uh, ended up finding a, an internship at a double A baseball team just out in Altoona, PA, just outside of State College, which is the first time I ever even knew or thought about broadcast or control room type stuff on a, on a per team basis. And I've been doing it ever since. Uh, and when I got there, although my, my student background was in kind of the broadcast equipment, I immediately got into learning graphic design and animation because I was kind of fortunate. And that when I got there, my boss handed me an Adobe user manual, said we just bought the Adobe Suite. None of us know how to use it. Here's the manual. So Adobe Suite consists of Photoshop. Photoshop, After Effects for animation, Premiere for video editing. So I had no previous knowledge or experience with it, didn't go to school for it, but I took that and just ran with it and just continued to work on it throughout the years. And now I'm to the point where I am an art director for a creative services department where we do graphic design and animation. Does Ross Video now I know that you work with sports teams, mm -hmm. but do they have other clients explain the dynamic of what mm -hmm. they do? So uh, Ross videos and broadcast, it's in news broadcast, it's in entertainment broadcast. So, I mean, we're, we're in everywhere. You know what I mean? It's just all behind the scenes stuff. You wouldn't know that the switcher cutting the show during a broadcast, the graphics that you see overlaid, the full screen graphics during a broadcast, those are all Ross video products. And a lot of the creative is we're involved with as well. So a switcher is when you switch video of what people are seeing on a TV, on a video board, et cetera. Literally, it's the cutting between different cameras during D the broadcast. Different camera angles. Yes. Okay, and then you mentioned something else after the switcher. You said um, the overlays. Mm -hmm. So the graphics, the, the character generators, so all the graphics you see, the lower thirds of team player names, stats, the full screen graphics that are analytical purposes, at least on the sports side, but... I mean, the same thing in the broadcast world. You have full screen and you have lower third graphics. All of that gets designed and played through a character generator engine, and that's one of the mainstay products that Ross Video has, which is expression. And that's what I, me and my team, we work pretty much exclusively in. And that's what we use to create even all the imagery you see on sport venues and on video boards. The entire layout, the graphics are done by a character generator uh, of some sort. And our product, Ross Video, is expression. So Ross works with teams across many different sport leagues. Mm -hmm. What leagues 
if you can name any teams. You name the league, we, we're probably in it. I mean, I've worked with NBA, NHL, NFL, obviously Major League Baseball, MLS. Haven't done WNBA yet, but all of the major sports, we, we are in there. From a equipment standpoint, over the last five years, it has grown exponentially, and we are probably in at least 50% of all major sport venues at this point. Uh, our equipment and anytime there is an equipment install there is also a services or creative services part that is part of it so we come in after the equipment is installed and then we work with the teams to either create the graphics for them or we work with their designers to implement their graphics into our system right after our interview here our conversation mm -hmm. you're getting on a plane and mm -hmm. heading to one of your clients mm -hmm. I am heading to San Francisco to work with the Golden State Warriors. This has been my pet project for the past three months. They are opening up a brand new facility, the Chase Center. It's already open. Their official home opener is next Thursday, which I'll be going back for. Tonight or tomorrow night is their third and final preseason game. So my company, we did all the graphic design. We did the, the integration of the equipment. So it's really been, I've been leave, leave, living and breathing Golden State Warriors for the past three months and now we're almost at the end. So now I get to see all the fruits of our labor really come to fruition. That's such a, a popular team here mm -hmm. in the States. You're probably living many, many people's dreams. Mm -hmm. I guess so. <laughs> so, okay, so what I think I heard was that you help them set up the equipment. Mm -hmm. So you help them pick out what equipment they need to effectively and efficiently run their video boards. Uh, well, not so much. So our, uh, we have a sports and live events solutions department. Really, they get the things rolling. They work with teams. Usually, it's not even the team. It's usually a systems integrator who they make specs for a project for a stadium. Our company, as well as other companies, will make uh, give a bid for that, that spec. And then eventually, the team decides which company they will go through. So, I mean, our company is just one of many companies involved in this project I mean it's a brand new facility there's a bunch of there's everybody has their wheelhouse when it comes down to it so our company wins the bid from a control room side and from the equipment side I, I do not have selection of it that's a whole separate part we come in after the equipment is selected and installed and we are the ones doing the guts and the programming of it so we're doing the design work we're helping them actually create the show so we're not doing the equipment side we're actually doing the show production part of it Okay, so I was to attend a, a game mm -hmm. at that arena to go mm -hmm. check out the Golden State Warriors. Mm -hmm. I'd be looking at your work. Yes, you would. Amazing. Yes. Mine and several others, by the way. There's, I have a quite a large team. Of course, and you're always a team player. You always give a <laughs> shout-out to your team. So, of course, of course. So many students or recent grads are hyper-focused on working for that team or that league and don't realize that there's jobs out there like yours that instead of working with just one team, you're able to use your creativity on a number of different teams. For you, how was that transition of working with just one organization your entire career to now having multiple clients who are all doing different things? I'd say it's a little more stressful. So I, my, my schedule I was used to in baseball, you, you know, you had your, your month that was a season, but really, the season was the easy part. The grind was getting up to the season or like the really stressful parts were that month and a half leading up to the season. That was really your busy season. Where and I'll say this, yeah. I, we worked together. You sometimes lived at the ballpark. Oh yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. <laughs> that hasn't changed, but now I get to live at my home office at home at times. But so in baseball, I always had that busy season leading up to that April 1st kind of opening day. But now, 
that I'm involved in multiple sport leagues, I now get to have the privilege of having that kind of urgency and busy time twice a year because I still work with MLB teams, so I still have that busy season and that end of January leading up to April 1st is super busy, and then I get kind of a, a lull, and then starting at the end of July till right now, it is full force. And this is actually probably worse because NHL, NBA, NFL, they all kind of hit at the same time. So I am almost through that gauntlet. All the, all the teams are starting up and we're, we're almost through that phase. So I'll just say I have two really busy seasons now versus just the one. You say that maybe you have downtime, but that's not really downtime, right? You're still busy. Yeah, I am, yeah. And that's the industry in itself. <laughs> Yeah. You're always preparing for the next thing. Yeah, always looking ahead. I've even I've had multiple meetings over the past two weeks talking with MLB teams. We're already looking looking ahead till to next year. So as soon as these next two weeks are over and NBA is fully underway, I am starting to look ahead now to MLB. And we'll, we'll get full-fledged into that by mid-January. So if a listener's out there that is interested in what you're doing as a career path for them, what skills are needed for them to learn? You said... You didn't study this in school. Mm -mm. You did not have the skills until your boss handed you Adobe Creative Suite and said, learn it, you're gonna use it. Mm -hmm. What skills do they need? Well, I mean, if you specifically want skills to go down my road, really a creative mind, at least a small portion of technicality is required. So really it's all about just getting into the industry and getting that first experience to see what what you're really good at, first and foremost, what appeals to you. I want you to know what has appealed to you. That's when you know you're, what you're going to be passionate about. And that's what I found on the creative side, the animation side. I didn't go to school. I didn't even know about design or animation until I got into it. I found I had a passion for it, so I just ran with it and just taught myself everything. But as far as skill sets you would need to have is really just that creative mind and a love for, love for sports. because. Like I said, it's, and you said, it works a lot of hours. The technical skills, you can learn, right? You don't need the prerequisites sometimes of the skills. You can learn them on the job or teach yourself, as I did a lot of the skills that I have on animation and design, I taught myself and just build that skill up over the years. So honestly, it really is just a desire and getting some experience and finding what's passionate to you. And then you can just run with it on your own after that. Students still in school right now, should they go out there and use their iPhone or grab a GoPro and use this editing software to just throw together fun videos to start practicing? Absolutely. I mean, there's you can do so much more now on your phone and make actual movie and videos than I could do with my I had a flip phone in college, and I don't think you could take pictures with it. But yeah, I mean, if the, the resources are out there that you can teach yourself a lot. There is nothing that you can't learn or there's a tutorial for when it comes to design or animation. You want to learn how to do something? I bet you any money you can find a tutorial and you can learn it yourself online without paying any money for it. If somebody who went out of their way to create these small videos, say a student, he didn't, he wasn't working for an organization, he just wanted to practice, he or she wanted to practice and really develop their skills. If they came to you for an internship and they have this as backup, and it's pretty decent work. What would you think of that? Well, I would say initiative shows a lot. The ability and willingness to go learn and teach yourself. I personally have a respect for it because I personally did it that way myself. A lot of people ask me uh, when I was just exclusively in baseball, like how do I get to your position at Major League Baseball? And I told everybody, 
go start as an internship in a minor league team. Do not intern for me here at the major league level. In fact, when I got to the major league level, I had a couple interns my first two years, and I stopped hiring interns because I thought their experience was terrible with me. At the minor league level, you are so reliant on your interns to do everything. I mean, they are integral parts. You need them to create content. You need them to work the games. They are integral. At the major league level, I had full-time assistants who I relied to create content, and I had a huge game day staff that would work the games. So honestly, when my intern came in, I really had him doing kind of remedial work, things that I didn't really need him to do, but I thought they got a terrible experience, honestly. So I stopped hiring one. So if anybody ever asked me, I said start at the minor league level because you will get more well-rounded, you will get more hands-on experience than you would interning for me. And when I was hiring full-time employees for me at the major league level, I honestly always looked first and foremost for people with minor league experience because I knew from my own experience that they are more well-rounded. They've had to do so much more than somebody who just started at the major league level because at the major league level, you're more segregated because there's just so many more people working. So honestly, I think you start at the ground level, but that initiative to learn things yourself is, is huge and that's what I would look for. So are these students surprised when you, the full-time staff of the Pittsburgh Pirates are saying, no, you don't want to intern for me, go to the minor leagues. Are they somewhat confused or do they understand what you're trying to get at? I'd say a mixture. I think some people get it. I remember. Because some people yeah. just chase that logo, that professional sports Exactly. Team. Somebody, people like the glory of, oh, major league level, I want to be there. And eventually you'll, you could get there. But uh, I think there's a, proper way to get there with the proper experience. So I did have one instance where I was talking to a son of somebody who was, a, I think he was an owner of the team. He had a son who was looking for an internship. So I was sitting with him and one other person and he was, he asked me that specific question. How do I get to your job? And I just told him what exactly I just told you. And he was like, really? And it was, he was kind of confused of it. And I, I could see it didn't hit him because he still liked the idea of the glory of major league level. I want to work there. And I know you have probably a couple of stories because I remember when you were interviewing, we were friends when we worked in minor league baseball. We knew, we told each other when we were looking for other opportunities. Sometimes the professional level didn't really understand how much work you do at that minor league level. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they discredit that because they're ignorant to the fact of really what goes into minor league sports. This is one of my, my favorite stories as far as interviewing for jobs. So I, I've been very fortunate in my career being in good positions at good times. I started my, my first job, I interned for the Altoona Curve and I got hired full-time out of college and I went right into a managerial role right Altoona away. Altoona Curve is? Is double-A baseball. A affiliate of? The Pittsburgh Pirates. Okay. So, and not Two years in to my full time, I had not applied for the job. I got a call out of the blue from the Cleveland Indians. A headhunter called me and asked if I'd be interested in interviewing for a job. Obviously, I'm two years out of college. Of course I did. So went through the process, talked to HR, did a couple phone interviews, eventually got to one of the higher ups. We did a, we did a phone interview. And throughout that, if you ever heard of the whole term big leaguing yeah, that is exactly what this conversation was. We, we started talking about what my show was like at the minor league level and what they did at the major league level. And the entire conversation, every time I said what we would do, 
it was followed, well, we at the major league level, we do it this way. And everything they said, I could relate because we were doing it the same way. And I said, yeah, I understand. This is exactly how we do it too. And it was a total rebuttal like, yeah, yeah, but this is how we do it type of conversation. It was a, an interview that went about probably a half hour or so. We got to the top, uh, topic about animation and graphic design. She asked me, what's my experience? And I said, honestly, I didn't go to school for any of this. So I'm self-taught 100%. And she was taken back by this. She's like, wait, you didn't go to school for this? I said, no, I, I am self-taught. She goes, oh, okay. The interview actually ended pretty quickly after that. Uh, I actually got off that phone interview pretty angry about this. Like this person did not give me the time of day. They big wigged me the whole time. So afterward, I actually wrote this person a very long email and I sent them examples of my design. I sent them our production schedule. It was like, this is how we do it. Here's the examples of my work. I didn't really expect a response. I did get a response. It was like, wow, I had no idea. When can you come up to Cleveland for an interview? Is how that went. So I went, they eventually offered me the job. I eventually turned that down, which was kind of nice, just to kind of stick it to them a little bit. But yeah, have confidence in yourself and your abilities. But yeah, there, there are people at the major league level who they have that mentality that uh, I'm big league. But in, in all walks of life and in any industry, there's, you're gonna work with people who are super talented and super understanding on all levels. And you're gonna find people who are in positions that you think they should know what they are doing, but they don't. It's just human nature. Everybody's a human when it comes down to it. Okay, so we talked about the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I have a few topics I would like to touch upon. You did so many really cool and innovative things while there and have won a lot of awards for your work. One in particular was winning the best interactive feature in 2017 at the IDEA Conference. So to start, first, what is the IDEA Conference? So the IDEA Conference is an annual conference held during the baseball all-star break. IDEA stands for Informational Display and Entertainment Association. It is a collaboration of, of all major sport leagues with people who are in my type of position as far as audiovisual production and entertainment industry. So and that includes the big four teams it, it, and college and universities, that right? That is correct. So the MLB, NFL, NHL, all, all big four are there. Big time universities are there, MLS teams are there. There are even a few minor league teams that, that attend. But yeah, it's, it's pretty much the one time everybody in our industry gets together uh, and collaborates uh, on best practices across multiple sports. But a part of that is there's also a big award show where people submit features and stuff they've created promotional wise, entertainment wise, and then there's a, a large vote in an award show for that. So you've won numerous awards, but this one in particular was for a contest that I know I think is super cool and obviously these guys did too. Could you tell us a little bit about it? So the one that has gotten the most recognition is something we called Super Bucko Run. It was a knockoff off of Super Mario Run, which was an app game. Well, back in, I guess it was 2017, we put in a brand new right field display at PNC Park. We ripped out an old, old school, out of town scoreboard and put in a new LED wall to replace it. Uh, at the time, it was an uproar by fans. You know, you're taking away the nostalgia of ballpark and you're replacing it with LED, which I get because it's an old school ballpark. But anyway, 
as part of this installation, I wanted to do something really unique with it. I think it was in a unique location, the fact that it was field level, and I really, I'm always big on interactive gaming. So I came up with this idea, Super Buckle Run, and it just, it just blew up. And some, I've had ideas that I thought were great ideas that did not take off, but this, this is one that just, just blew up. So let me paint the picture. You mm -hmm. have this LED board in right field, mm -hmm. and you have Super Bucko graphics looking like Super Mario Brothers graphics. You could see the little coin boxes where you jump up and bop them with your head and mm -hmm. you get points. You had a little pipe, right? Mm -hmm. Mario goes into the pipe. You put that on the field, an actual pipe looking thing mm -hmm. that a contestant has to jump over. Mm -hmm. So they have to go to each one of these boxes. I think you had four of them, is that right? So he'd have to, he or she would have to go to that first one hit it X amount of times, jump up two or three times, and what would pop out? It was a parrot head. It was a parrot head, okay, in theme. Mm -hmm. Okay, so once they did that, they then had to touch the parrot head and then go on to number two, number three, number four, sure. come back, hop over this, this pipe mm -hmm. looking thing on field, and they had to get back to the start line. Within 45 seconds. Within 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. So was this the first time something was so interactive? on the field for this is this is old school stuff for minor league baseball having interactive games on the field but the major league level that is almost usually a no-no like the field is kind of sacred so one to have an interactive fan on the field is kind of unusual in major league baseball but to have an interactive led game on field level was certainly a, a first of its kind it, it's just a little crazy how it blew up literally the first game we did it it was happening like the fourth or fifth inning uh, of opening day. We ran it, it immediately went viral. Somebody in the stands recorded it and it went out immediately before the game was over. I was getting text messages, other people were getting text messages from my colleagues across the league, just blown away by it. It's just amazing how it just blew up like that. So this was a promotion that was recognized by the Washington Post, CBS Sports, Bleacher Report, sportingnews.com, hashtag sports, and the list goes on and on and on. And I was one of those people that saw it go viral and I messaged you saying, wow, this is incredible. So I was one of those people to you and just super proud of what you did. You know, you've Thanks. always done really great things, but to continuously do that, it's hard, right? I think I, I read an article about you at that idea conference and it said, one of your quotes was, it's hard to get to the top, but even harder to stay there. Mm -hmm. So when you do great things, you always have to continue to outperform your own great ideas. Well, there's always somebody behind you trying to outdo you. I had a very good friendly battle with the Seattle Mariners for years at this idea conference. So when I first started with the Pirates, the Mariners were kind of in a, a streak of winning a bunch of awards. Like the, the ultimate goal is being recognized as best in your sport, best in baseball. So at, this, at these award shows, they recognize each the best of each individual sport, and then there's a best overall. Well, for a number of years, like three or four years straight, the Mariners had been that best in baseball. So that was the pinnacle I was trying to get to. So I, and I kept telling them I'm coming for them. And eventually I did. I beat them one year for best overall in baseball. The next year, the Mariners beat me again. And then the following year, I beat them again. 
and then that's when I sailed off into the sunset with Ross video. But it was a but yeah, there's always somebody. So you else you went out on top. top. I went out on top there. Yes, but yeah, we had a good friendly battle. But there's always somebody else trying to outdo you. So tell the listeners at home. Okay, so there's a live person on the field during the Super Bucko Run, mm-hmm. and when they jump, the graphic of the coin box mm-hmm. has to change and something pops out. Mm-hmm. What happens? How does that happen? So we're using Ross Expression, which is now what I, I work for the company. So it, it, it is legit. It's a, a real game happening. It is not sensor-based. I actually didn't have an operator upstairs. It was most of the time me. I had a computer in front of me with a joystick. It is literally a computer game, custom console. As they were jumping, I was pushing a button. And that's, that's as simple as it is. I'm watching them, and I'm pushing a button as they jump and timing it. Well, I came and visited you at the stadium two years ago. You also did something on the video board where, was it um, cornhole? Yeah. And you were throwing bags and had to do something similar. So I got really big. Once I got expression into into my ecosystem as a customer, I really was big on the interactive gaming. And I always, every year, wanted to introduce an interactive game that also involved LED. To me, I always wanted to be something that, some kind of physical movement. So actually, it was it was the year before the Super Bucko Run was the first time I did it, and that was this cornhole game, where literally I had three people, and it was a custom cornhole game. It's just a board with three holes. Each one was designated different points. And then on my, we called it the treasure hunt. On the video display, I had three pirate legends riding a parrot, almost like a, what's the one in Reading? The guy riding a chicken and throwing, what, what was that? Oh, the Got hot dog throw. vendor. Yeah, it was that the crazy idea. hot dog crazy vendor. Crazy hot dog vendor. It's that costume where somebody is riding a chicken, but it's their own leg. So I did that same type of visual effect where I had Roberto Clemente, Willie Stargell, and Bill Mazeroski riding a, a giant parrot. And with each cornhole throw, it made their character move across my 3D canvas. And whoever got to the end, first one. I really want to play that one, but... I know. I really thought you were going to play Super Bucko Run, but you never made it. Yeah. Oh, boo. Yeah. I, missed, I, I mean, they're still playing it. I could probably still set it up. Jot that down. <laughs> we're we're going to go play they're Super still, Bucko. They're still doing it. They're still doing it. The idea of still... I'm still on the Super Bucko Run because I think it's super cool. The idea came to you just by scrolling through your phone one day, and you, you loved it so much that you decide to go ahead and implement it. So what I want to stress with that, and it came with that, with you taking a chance and saying, I like this idea, you've won so many awards and gotten so much recognition from it. It went viral on social. I just like to stress that ideas could come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And for those listeners out there, if your mind is open, great things can happen. You mm-hmm. just have to be open to learning and really things could come from anywhere. I've always taken the approach that you learn, you learn things uh, from other people. Other people do great things too, and you always try to, oh, if you see something great, you recognize it, and you try to implement it yourself. I've always made the conscious effort to be that one that people look to me to emulate rather than vice versa. So I always stressed and tried to do things that I have never seen before. I wanted to be the original. I wanted to be the first to do something. So that's how I've always approached my ideas and thinking. The Super Bucko Run, it was so close to being a disaster you wouldn't believe it literally the day before opening day so we always have like practice games we always do two full rehearsal pretend games uh, we play back an old game we do a full dress rehearsal and 
That's interesting in itself. Yeah. So uh, before opening day, that usually within that week before opening day, we do two full rehearsals. We pretend it's a 705 game. We go through all of pregame. We do it in real time, like it's a real game. And then we just play back a, video, uh, a tape game, and we run it exactly as a game in real time. And we do all of our inning promotions. If an inning promotion didn't go well, we run through it multiple times. If it's something new, we run through it multiple times. Well, Super Bucko Run was one that we ran over and over again, just also to get the timing down, make sure we, we have you know 90 seconds to get this done. Well, I, I insisted really hard on having that pipe on the field because I thought the physicality of it really would add something to it, to have that physical challenge to it. and. Wouldn't you know it? And we all kind of thought it could happen, but during one of those rehearsals, one of our promo crew, they went over it and tripped and it fell. And then obviously it got all concerned. Is this, do we need to have waivers? Is this going to be a concern for a fan doing this? And the night before, we, I, I had to argue with my boss in the office to keep it. I said, this is going to add more to it than if we take it away. She was nervous about the liabilities of it. And I had to argue very strongly to keep that pipe in the game. And lo and behold, we, we kept it. And we have had fans wipe out on it. And you know what? Those are the ones that also go viral. People like that. It's funny. Nobody's gotten seriously hurt yet. But, yeah. I definitely saw some of those videos of those falls. And they do make it even more comical. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's, it, it adds something to the race. And coming from minor league baseball, you know, yes, we sign waivers. Mm -hmm. And you do all that. So that's a part of it. But people were always falling and, and, and doing funny. crazy people things like on field. Yeah, absolutely. When you won this award, what were you up against the Miami Heat, or was that a different award? So that was a different award. So the best interactive, uh, it can come from any of the leagues, but the one I think you're talking about is we won an award that same year for best supporting display. And best supporting display is an award that recognizes basically – how do you use your video displays that are not your main display? Like how do you use it in complementary? And that can include displays within the facility. It can also include displays outside of the facilities. And this award specifically has just been dominated by the NBA, specifically the Miami Heat and Houston Rockets. They win it every year. Or the Chicago uh, Blackhawks. And it's, it's really because those arena type atmospheres are really set for that. They have so many displays. They have so many displays in their lobbies. They have displays on the outside of their building. Really the arena atmosphere is made for that award. And it has never been won by anybody besides an NBA team, except for the Pirates that one year. We did some, it was the first year we had that right field display. In addition to that super bucko run, we did a bunch of unique things that nobody had ever seen before, just things incorporating starting lineups and other interactive. The way we kind of, we didn't mirror our main display, but we supported our main display with different information and different graphics that supported the main display. So we did a lot of unique things and it was recognized. And to this day, it has the only time an NBA team has never won that award. So you were quoted in an article I found online that said that what people appreciate most is innovation. And you said, in your opinion, the Miami Heat that year were still probably the best, but you guys won because you showed something that no one had ever done before. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. That's That really just stood out to me, and I love it. it. We could definitely relate that to young professionals in the interview process, right? It's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. Being different shows that you have the personality and creativity 
to do things that other people aren't. And I think that showing your personality, coming to an interview with a special project or a booklet of your work or something to show them, innovation will surely always impress if we want to relate it to that. Okay, we touched upon a lot about your role as a creator or a designer of graphics and video. We talked a little bit about you running the show as for the Super Bucko run, but during the game, you were on at all moments and you had a staff under you controlling everything. What did that specific role, the game presentation manager position, you talked a little bit about it, but give the listeners at home what you did so that they understand that your role is really multifaceted. Yeah. So there's, I guess, two parts to my type of, or what my old type of role was. When it comes to the game entertainment, there's obviously the prep work. There's the creating of the video, the graphics, and all of that, all that grunt work really happens in the months from November to, say, April 1st. Really, you're, I'll just go through a, an entire kind of schedule of what the year was like. Season ended for the Pirates, usually end of September. Um, <laughs> no October ball? <laughs> there was. I mean, I, I had the first, uh, the first playoff game in Pirates in over 20 years, my first year there. So, But the typical schedule is I'm starting to think about next year, starting in August, beginning of August, I'm really starting to think about what I want to do for the next year. And I start getting quotes for different things probably through September. I'm going to cut in here. Remember yeah, the ahead. common question, oh, what do you do during the off-season? Yeah. Do you work? Well, I'm about to tell you. <laughs> That's a common season. question you get from fans yeah. all the time. And you just have to snicker and smile and say, yeah, yeah. I work. <laughs> yeah. So really, the months of September through November, we are really starting to create what their show is going to be look like. We're doing graphic design. We're coming up with brainstorming ideas. We are pricing out equipment changes, anything we might need. Because come December, December, we start planning for spring training. When we do a rehearsal shoot, for everything that we need to involve players, we would do a rehearsal shoot. And we would practice all of the headshots, all of the different video elements we needed a player to do for us. We would practice, we would stage during a practice session in December. By the time January rolled around, we had all that finalized because we would go down to spring training first or second week of February. Now, our setup, every team's a little bit different. Some teams get a setup in like a, a tent or a warehouse where they set up green screens, they set up their cameras. We were in a dorm room. We actually would always take up three or four dorm rooms. We would completely gut them. There's no nothing but our stuff in there. We'd set up green screen, we set up lighting audio, any props we would need. So we would gut three or four. So why did you guys choose to do that route? That's that's what we had access to. Okay. There was one year where we had kind of a more grand idea where we needed a larger space and we rented a tent outside, which was quite pricey to do because it's in Florida and we also had to air condition it because it was outdoors and every night we had to cover our equipment with a plastic wrap because of dew. When we walked in the morning, everything would be covered with dew. So there was a lot of challenges doing that. So we're actually probably better off being in the dorms. But anyway, the, the schedule then down in spring training is you get each player that are in spring training. So there'd be 60 plus players in spring training. We'd get every player for basically a max of an hour. And we'd have to get everything we need for the entire season done 
within an hour. So the big guys, like an Andrew McCutcheon, Josh Harrison, all of our big players, we would take up that full hour. And then guys who were kind of fringe roster guys, probably who, they're on the 40-man, but they probably won't see the major leagues. We could get down the base down in like 15 or 20, 25 minutes. But we were down there for two and a half weeks. We run through everybody the entire time. So just to make it clear, you're doing, again, you're doing filming, having them say anything you want them to say mm-hmm. and sh- for, so you could show it in-game, on the video board, etc. Correct. Yes. So that's pretty much the month of February. Once we get back from February, now we have to take all that footage and we got to prepare it. And all the grunt work we did in the months prior to going to spring training, now we have to apply it and get that ready for playback come April 1st. And then, as uh, for, to allude to your original question, a typical day. So, my typical day would be I'd come in in the morning, I'd prepare for that night's game. Usually, I usually work the day ahead. I would work on, I would finalize the schedule for that day while also working for the game schedule for the next day. So that whole day was prepping for that night's game or the game the next day. And then once gates opened, I sat in a producer chair. Oh, I had all my, my game day folks were around and I basically, everybody knew what they had to do at pretty much all situations, but you have to fly by the seat of your pants a little bit during a live production as far as I need this video to play now because the situation calls for it. I want this song to play now because the situation calls for it. So I always kept my own little cheat sheet of all the different videos that I had I knew in the system, all the different kind of pump-up songs in different situations. I basically kept myself a master cheat sheet of things that I know I had loaded in the system. So if a situation called for it, I would call for this song for my audio, I would call for this visual on the video board. So really it's like a, for a example, chart. what's what's something that happened that you had music for and a visual on your video board? I mean a typical situation is a mound visit or a pitching change. Those are unscripted moments within a game that you then have to fill content with. So obviously if we're on offense and there is a pitching change and where it's a close game, obviously the goal now is to get people riled up to keep that rally going. So we're, we're queuing a song, we're queuing graphics that sort of make some noise, a noise meter, some type of video clip that might correspond to that as well. If you are losing or if you're on defense and there's a pitching change, again, this is an unscripted time where you have to fill with content. Are you doing some kind of hat shuffle? Or are you going to do something as simple as crowd shots? Or do you have other pre-prepared content for unscripted times of a game? And those are the calls from a producer seat that I am making uh, as a game is going. Fantastic. So you're doing a lot. Even though everything you do is great, of course, right? Thank you. Thank you. Do you have a story for the listeners where things may not have gone totally as planned? So you asked me this to prepare, and you asked, so when have I failed? And the truth is, I, I have not failed. And he said not, that. He and, said that to me. And it's, uh, and it's not an ego thing, and it's not that I'm infallible. It's that maybe it's just a mindset. I've never failed because I think a characteristic of failure is giving up on something. So I've never had a situation where, have I done things that didn't work out at first? All the time, every day. So that's just an obstacle that you then overcome and you do it somewhere, some different way until you reach the end goal. So I've never had a situation where something hasn't worked and I haven't figured a way to still get to that end goal. So no, I don't think I've ever really failed. It's just I found a lot of ways not to do it the right way. And then I finally get it to where it needs to be. I think you too, just the way you think is that you always in your mind have an option B. 
mm-hmm. just kind of waiting. CD, yeah. Sometimes there's a lot of ways you have to go to get to that end goal. But that could really help because if option A doesn't work as planned, you're in your mind have already prepared, okay, well then now I'm going to this without like panicking right away mm-hmm. because that first and only option you may have thought of didn't necessarily work. Option A never works. So a story where I didn't fail, but again, obstacles overcome. And I think it was 2015 at the Pirates. This year, we gutted our control room. We put in a whole new control room. It is at this point where we, we put in like the Ross video gear for the first time. We were one of the first teams to ever put this Ross gear to be the mainstay of our control room and to power our display. So we were one of the first. And I, I chose it because I really liked the product and obviously I really love the product since I now work for the, the company. But at the time, we were one of the first. And it was a brand new control room. And with new constructions, they always go up to the last possible time. So it was really, we're like two weeks before the season starts. It's really when the control room was kind of really finished. Like I said before, we, we have full dress rehearsals. And now we're within a week of opening day. Our first full dress rehearsal, nothing worked. I mean, literally nothing worked. We went through pregame, we got to game time, we started to try and run through the game, and the whole system just crashed. It locked up, we couldn't do a darn thing. And at this point, this is supposed to be a full dress rehearsal. We have 20 promo staff out on the field, I have 40 of my game day employees in, and just, we were frozen. We spent about half hour trying to troubleshoot it. Eventually, I just cut bait. I told everybody, go home, we clearly have some real issues. That night, I was on the phone until 4 a.m. calling vendors, calling tech support, working through all the kinks of what our problems. I slept in my floor of my office that night. I slept for like three hours, got up, continued troubleshooting, got things kind of working. I was on the phone. It was kind of the first time that it was just Ross and it was another conglomerate like Dactronics. There's multiple entities in all these projects and these just, it was like a a data issue. They just weren't meshing together. So I had them on a conference call all together. They all worked together. We got things kind of working. The next night I brought in just the core operators, like four or five of my game day employees, just to kind of run through the kinks of the show, make sure everything is actually flowing, working correctly. It did. The next night we had our second dress rehearsal, went pretty well. And then the next day was opening day and things went flawlessly. So again, didn't fail, didn't fall flat in my face, but we had obstacles to overcome and we eventually got to where we needed to be. After many hours spent. Yes, many, many hours spent. So I I know something when we worked together in minor league baseball, you had something called the oh crap button too for moments. What is the oh crap button? This is in every stadium. This is in my stadiums. This is every stadium. There is an oh crap, nothing's working. We need to just cover the displays with a still graphic while things get sorted out. This is... This is a standard in every every control room everywhere. So if you are at a ballpark, arena, stadium, etc., and you see a generic logo go up on all the video boards or maybe just one, that means there is technical difficulty. Yep, technical difficulties without actually saying stay tuned, technical difficulties. It's just a pretty graphic to distract you. I have a story when I think back about things, and it's actually pretty funny. We worked a lot together. I was in the sponsorship department, so I had to collect a lot of the assets from the sponsors, and I learned from you the true meaning of vector artwork and high-res images, and really, I used it for the rest of my life, right? And I'm trying to teach John and 
And so he knows about the importance of vector artwork. So listeners at home, vector artwork in simple terms is high res art that can be blown up to large billboard size, even further artwork and not lose its resolution. There it is. That, that was waiting for you to say that part. You, you can scale it without losing resolution. Okay, scale. That's the word I missed, scale. <laughs> so a lot of times I get pictures, low res from young professionals not understanding that the resolution of pictures really matters, especially for people like yourself that uses cutouts of headshots, etc. Yes, resolution matters. I have some some young professionals that insert photos in a Word file and then send it to me. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, that's a no-no. Don't do that. So you want when you when you're taking a headshot or submitting a photo to anything, you want it to be the highest resolution. If your phone says, "Oh, do you want to decrease the size?" like hit no. Send it as the highest quality photo you could send. Well, you just have to understand what the end application is. You know, <laughs> High res okay. is usually better. So you talked about employees. So would you provide the listeners a rundown of how many people worked in your department at the Pirates and then at minor league baseball teams that you worked for? What's the difference? So I worked at multiple levels with varying sizes of staff. So... At the Iron Pigs, the AAA baseball team, I would say our staff was probably larger than most minor league teams as far as full-time. But then my game day staff, I think, was around I think it was around 8 to 10. And then I had one full-time assistant for several years. At the major league level, I had three, four full-time employees plus a freelancer. My game day staff, I had a pool of around 45 people. On a game night, I had 27 people working a game for me per night. That includes all the positions in the control room. It includes the PA announcer, the on-field host, the on-field cameraman. So I think I had 28 employees. It was, it was mid to high 20s at the major league level. So Living Sport just released a blog titled Four Reasons You Must Work Game Days, and it was written by Sean Montgomery, a student from DePaul University who is enrolled in school and works game days for three of Chicago's professional sports teams. Shout out to Sean on a very well-written and insightful blog. Good job there, Sean. You mentioned your Pirates game presentation staff included many game day staffers. We've had the conversation before that many of your game day staff at the Pirates also work for the other pro teams in Pittsburgh, providing them an excellent experience. Would you explain to the listeners why or how working at a different sports teams or organizations can provide a heightened experience for them? So as is the case in many cities at the, the high professional level, a lot of the game day staff, uh, a lot of teams have to deal with, with unions. So in Pittsburgh specifically, a lot of my employees were also a part of this union that would staff the Steelers, they would staff the Penguins, they would staff pit football games. For some reason, they were, we were not subject to the union at the Pirates, although we still used the same people. But there's no doubt just having employees who are just, they're just living and breathing. That's, they were freelance people who worked in a union, but their main jobs were working sporting events. They worked for the Steelers, they worked for the Pit Panthers, they worked for the Penguins, and that's that was their job. They were they were freelancers, and that was what they were in. They also worked on movies as they came through. Some of them, that's 
but the majority of the people who worked for me were freelancers who were either a part of the union that worked multiple facilities and worked movies and TV productions that came through the city. So what about young professionals? How do you think experiencing the pirates, how they do things, and then how the Steelers, and then Pitt, their sport department, their athletic department, how do you think that could help them in developing their skills or really their just knowledge of the industry? Well, I think it would certainly help them critique from one to another. I don't find a lot of game day people, well, I mean, they can provide insight as far as, well, here's how we saw it this place versus how we're doing it here. And I certainly always gave them the time of day and the respect to hear, hear them out. Because like I said, everybody steals from everybody. You hear an idea of how somebody's doing, you see an idea, and you, if you think it's a, a well-worth idea, you're going to try and implement it because you're always trying to improve yourself. So as, as far as my position, I would always take whatever criticism, positive or negative, from any source I could get. And really, there's a lot of conferences like that idea conference, like the baseball winter meetings, where you go there to exchange ideas. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. You're professionals. You're all in different markets. Hey, what can we learn from you and use in our market that the fans would love? Nobody knows everything. So I know this, and I too have heard it from your former employees, that you create a culture that values innovation, which is truly fantastic. For those young professionals that may be afraid of trying something different, than what they know to be standard practice, what advice would you give them to spark their creative side to become an innovator? I think you have to realize that's how you get noticed. You don't wanna be the, the same person in the field. Of, you don't wanna be just kinda noise with the rest of the noise. You need to do something to be recognized and stand out. It's what, that's how I approached my entire career. It's how I've gotten to where I've gotten because I've dared to be different and I've consciously tried to be different. Different gets noticed, for better or worse. Sometimes worse, but hopefully more times better. But that's how you stand out from the crowd. You gotta be different, so you gotta get into that. How do you stand out from somebody else? And I think sometimes different may not work, yeah, but more times than others, it will work and it will set you apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had times where I've seen things that, I mean, I've seen different and I, I didn't like the different, but at least it stood out and I remembered it. I've had a, I had one guy, this, this is kind of different, but in a positive or negative. This is way back when I was in Altoona. I had a, a person apply for an internship. They had a demo reel, which was ridiculous and terrible. It had video examples of him and his friends in college, literally going around doing pranks, like inappropriate pranks in the neighborhood. It made me laugh. I clearly didn't hire him, but it stood out and I remembered it. The next year, the same guy applied and I remembered his name because I remembered it and he had a whole different demo reel and it was actually a professional kind of had actual real work things. So obviously I interviewed him, I ended up hiring him. He was a great employee. In fact, I hired him as my replacement at the Altoona Curve when I left. But I, I recognize his name and it stood out for the bad reason at the beginning, but it stood out the next year, and I know he it kind of flipped in his brain, oh, I didn't even get an interview. Maybe it was because of my demo reel was ridiculous and terrible. But maybe that was the plan all along. <laughs> maybe he maybe wasn't it was ready a two for the job. plan, and that was a great plan. <laughs> yeah. But at least it still stood out, and he ended up, he ended up being my replacement at the Altoona Curve when I left. I like to say any publicity is good publicity right I, th I think there's a side to that but in this case you remembered his name and because mm -hmm. of that 
it stuck with you and then yep. you know, he got a job. So great. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? All right. While we're doing this, I want you to think about young professionals trying to get into sports. Okay. okay. A black and white resume or color resume? Black and white. Do you hire for personality or skill? Skill. Thank you email or thank you letter? Well, nobody writes letters anymore, so email. <laughs> one page resume or two page resume? I know people tell you to have one, but I think it's fine to have two. I, I know mine's two. If you have enough, if you have enough legitimate things to put on a second page, that's fine. But don't go over two. I wanna I gotta stop this because I just recently went through a whole bunch of hiring process. I had somebody give me a seven page resume and one page was literally just his personal interests. Clearly, I shared it with some colleagues because we, we enjoyed it and it was ridiculous. But don't send a seven-page resume. It's just ridiculous. Listen up. Right two is there. okay. Two is okay if you have if you legitimately have enough to put on two. Cover letter or no cover letter? Absolutely a cover letter. I actually judge a lot on the cover letter. Based, it actually the the resume is just a listing. You can almost repeat what you want in a cover letter, but it also it honestly shows a little bit of intelligence of what type of writer you are and it shows intelligence absolutely a cover letter as long as it's well written because sometimes I don't get to the resume I read the cover letter and if it's really poorly written I don't even get to the resume last words of advice for aspiring sport business professionals hoping to make their mark in the industry we've already touched on it be unique stand out that's how you get through the noise there's a lot of people vying for the same position how I've gotten to where I've gotten is by being unique and doing things differently than how everybody else does it. So that's how you stand out. I love it. All right, Z. Matt, it was a pleasure having you on our podcast. I know the listeners are going to learn a ton from you as I did in my career. They're going to understand what vector artwork is and they're going to understand all that goes into the production behind games and really look into this industry outside of working for directly for a sports team. So I thank you for being here. Thank you. It's always a pleasure and best of luck with everything. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends. Our goal at Living Sport is to help all young professionals succeed in the sport industry, especially through the Living Sport International Sport Business Program. This program provides students with an opportunity to experience the world through sport. This year, Living Sport will be visiting Dublin, Ireland, London, England, and Athens, Greece. If you're interested to learn more or to apply for a 2020 program, go to livingsport.com. Have a great day, guys.